0: I just want to. Um, we're going to change gears, all right. Uh, turn with me to John chapter three for a moment, if you would. And uh, we began uh, last Sunday studying in Sunday school uh, the book of Galatians. And Paul wrote; uh, it's a fairly short book, just six chapters long. And um, we wrote; he, he wrote to a, a group of churches in the the region of Galatia, and. Um, The biggest reason that he wrote to them was they were being pressured. They had a lot of folks that were religious leaders of the day that were coming into their churches and teaching them that their salvation was not by faith alone, but also by keeping the law by their works. And Paul addresses the issue of uh, bondage under the law and liberty, the, the Christian liberty we have in the grace that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he very strongly uh, brings the point about that salvation does not come by the keeping of the law. It does not come by our works. And uh, in the course of studying it this morning, we, we made a, 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 a discovery. Well, it's not a discovery. We knew it was in Scripture, but we, we showed it and taught it. Because I fear that a lot of times we get in our mind that, um, that when we get saved, in fact, normally when I talk to somebody and I, I ask them if they know if they're going to go to heaven when they die, and they say yes, or they say, I hope so, or they say, I think so. And I ask them, I say, what are you basing that on? And almost without question, almost without question, even people who say, I go to church, uh, they will usually say, Well, I try to live a good life. I try to do my best. And that's usually the answer I get. And yet the Bible teaches very, very clearly that that will not get us there. And I, I from time to time, preach a message in this service on just the topic of salvation and what the Bible says about it. Because I would, I would hate for folks to, have a desire for the things of the Lord, to attend a church service where the Bible is opened and the Word is preached, and to leave not knowing how to be saved. And if you're here today, you say, well, I, I, I've been to church, I, I was raised in Sunday school, my mom and dad, they made me toe the line and follow the rules, and I've lived a pretty good life, and I, I hope when it's all said and done, God will let me in. Can I tell you, if that's your hope, then it is misplaced. And on the authority of God's Word, not my opinion, the Bible says you're not going to make it to heaven. It's not a hope so, it's not a think so, it's not a... uh, We'll wait and see. It is a definite, you're not going to make it. In fact, if you'll look with me in John chapter 3, the Bible says in verse number 16, uh, let's back up to verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the issue here is not uh, works, it's faith. It doesn't say whosoever shall live a good life shall have everlasting life. It says he that believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, what the Bible says. In fact, these words, if you have a Bible that does it this way. They put the words that the Lord Jesus Christ personally spoke. These are direct quotes from his mouth in ink that's red. And if you have a red letter edition Bible, uh, you'll see that these are not words even that John is writing here so much as the words that were actually spoken by Christ that John is dictating or or being uh, writing down his dictation from. And so Jesus is saying this. The Son of God himself says this. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Not whoever lives the good life, not whoever attends church, not whoever is kind to his neighbor. That's, that's not what it takes. There's only one thing that he tells us, and that is that we are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he did for us on Calvary. Now, notice verse 17, and I want us to look at these because I think sometimes we get this misunderstood. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's, a, that's an important statement. We live in a world that does not like the things of God or Christ because they feel like Christians are very legalistic and demanding and we put an undue burden on society. Can I tell you this? Society got in the shape they were in all on their own. God did not put them in that place. And God did not come here to bring condemnation to the world that was spiraling down on their own. God came to deliver them from that. And for some reason, I don't know how we get it in our minds in the world before we get saved, we don't understand these things. And I believe Satan tries to get those that don't know Christ as their Savior to believe a lie and to deceive them, to think that God is coming to reign on your parade, that God is the cause of all your society ills and problems. We are, because we're sinners. We're the cause of it. And Christ did not come to bring condemnation to the world. He came to deliver us from the condemnation we had already gotten ourselves into. Notice he says in verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Saved. He came to deliver us from it. For he that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned. What's the next word? Already. You know what you have to do to become condemned? Nothing. We're condemned already. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23 says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, There is none righteous, no, not one. When the world looks at this, I, I, I think it's important to know, and I'm not trying to be incendiary or cause you to feel bad about some things here, but we need to understand our sinful condition is something that we did, not God. It is something that we are a part of, not, not Him. He didn't come to draw us into this place of of unbearable load of guilt of sin. He came to deliver us from this unbearable load and guilt of sin. He came to give us a way of escape from it. And the reason the gospel is called the gospel is because it's good news. It's not bad news. The bad news would be if we were lost and on our way to hell and condemned already and didn't know it. And we went through life thinking, one day I'm, I'm hoping I'll make it there someday. I, what kind of life is that? I would not want to go through life and, and put all this effort into trying to live a good life only to have a hope that I might make it to heaven. I'd much rather, if God allows me to know it, I'd much rather know it. I'd much rather come and see what His Word says about it. Notice what He says here in verse 18. If you will, look with me. I'd, I'd like you to read these words with me and see them. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. When it comes to the fact of us getting to heaven or not getting to heaven, it will never be based on did I live a good enough life? Did I treat my neighbor as kindly as I should? Did I join the right church? I'll tell you this. Joining the right church is not going to get you saved. Joining a wrong church that will teach you the wrong way to be saved may keep you from getting saved. But just because you belong to a right church that teaches you the right way doesn't make you saved either. In fact, I would say this. We, we, we think, we hope that we're right here at Keith Ice Baptist Church. We believe we are. We try to follow Scripture as closely as is humanly possible. We want to be right on Scripture. But the truth is, if you came to this church every single time we had any kind of service here and never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for you, you're going to die and go to hell. A very faithful church attender. I was listening to a preacher a number of years ago and he made this statement. He said, hell is going to be full of religious people. Because they had a mind for religion. They they were they were had a curiosity and a thought of God and maybe even sincerely tried to follow teachings of groups and organizations that tried to direct them. But there is only one source of truth in this world and it is not this pastor. I'll tell you there's only one source of truth and it is not this church. And the source of truth that we have that we know is absolutely without error and 100% accurate is this book right here. And when it tells me this is the only way to get saved, then this is the only way to get saved. I have watched some news articles recently that have been recorded over the last several years of uh, well-known religious leaders. Some of them have written New York Times bestseller books. They are looked to as spiritual leaders in our country uh, by news organizations, and they're invited to come on nationally syndicated programs and do interviews. And I have heard, as the likes of Larry King and Oprah, question these folks and say, do you believe there's only one way to God? And I would hear these men stumble and bumble around, not wanting to offend, and they would basically say, well, we believe, as long as you're sincere, that many paths come to God. My Bible does not say that. And I don't care if it's Joel Osteen, I don't care if it's Jesse DePlanis, I don't care if it's Uh, Benny Hinn, I don't care uh, if it's Kenneth Copeland or or Creflo Dollar, I don't care any of these guys. I don't care if it's Oprah. I I don't care if it's Larry King Live. My Bible is truth. And it tells me that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It tells us also that wide is the gate that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. But it says, narrow is the gate that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You say, Pastor, that's a narrow-minded view to take. No, that's a narrow-minded truth of Scripture. It's not my opinion. If it was, I I would tell you it was my opinion. But folks, my heart is so burdened in the day we live that people can sit under the preaching of God's Word in good churches and still wonder how they're saved. I still, from time to time, will have uh, opportunities. And don't get me wrong, if you're ever in this situation, folks, pick up the phone and call me, and I will come and sit with you. But I still have moments where I'll have people that come that have sat under the preaching and teaching of this church or churches I've pastored before that will call me up and say, Pastor, I really think I am saved, but can you go through it with me one more time? Folks, it is important. Eternity is too long. And the consequences of not putting our faith in Christ are too dire for us to hope that we're right. We need to know that we're right. We need to know without any shadow of a doubt. We were in the book of Galatians. I'm going to use a few verses from it today, if you don't mind. Let's turn there. I wasn't going to go this route. This is a whole. I don't even have notes for this this morning. And I apologize. I rarely do this, folks. But I am so burdened. I have a whole other message from 2 Timothy 2 here. I didn't even use this morning, and maybe we'll do that this afternoon. But let's look in Galatians chapter number 4. I'm sorry, verse number three, uh, chapter number 3. Galatians chapter number 3. We're going to begin in verse number 10. Paul writes this, For as many as are under the works of the law. This would be trying to live right, trying to live good, all right? For as many as are under the works of the law are under the what? Curse. You try to get there by your works, you're under the curse. Notice what it says, For it is written, Cursed it is everyone that continueth not, and this is the critical thing here, in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You know, the Bible teaches us that if we try to keep the whole law and we offend even one time, we're under its curse. That means if I kept every law that God ever gave in Scripture my entire life, and I told one little, I hate to even use the term, but we use it in the day we live, white lie, then I am under the curse of sin. And God is absolutely right and just to demand a full penalty for that sin if He so chooses. I'm thankful John 3.16 exists. I'm thankful that Romans 5.12 exists and 5.8. That God loved me so much that He sent His only Son to die in my place. He took the curse for me. In fact, we found in Galatians this morning that Christ became the curse for us. He took that curse on Himself so that we might be made the righteousness of God. Notice he says in verse 11, he says that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by, what's the next word here? Faith. You say, how do I get saved? Look with me in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you're sitting here today and you say, well, I've lived a good life, I've attended church here and there, I come because my family wants me to come to church and... You know, I I think if I can go to church, maybe I'll have a better shot of getting to heaven. That is not why we go to church, folks. We come to church to learn the truth of what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 2, look with me in verse number 8. The Bible says this, For by grace are ye saved. Notice it doesn't say works. Notice it doesn't say by living a good life. Notice it doesn't say church membership. It doesn't even say baptism. It doesn't say it. You're not saved by baptism. You're saved by the grace of God. Notice it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. That's how we get God's grace. You know what grace is? Grace, somebody used it as an acrostic one time and said, God's riches at Christ's expense. It really means this, unmerited favor. Getting something that I don't deserve. God giving me something not because I've earned it, certainly not because He owes it to me. I could never stand before God and collect all the good deeds I've ever done in my life in my arms and stand before Him and say, Lord, here they are, all the good things of my life. I think that that warrants something, don't you? Because the Bible tells me that the very best that I have, my righteousness, when God looks at my righteousness, He said, they look like filthy rags. That's how holy He is. And how in the world could I take something so ugly and disgusting to Him and lay it at His feet and say, because of all of this, you owe me? I cannot. If I'm to be saved, it's simply going to be because of His grace. Him loving me enough to be willing to save me in spite of the fact that I'm a sinner. Notice he says in verse number 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the what gift, gift of God. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. You don't purchase it. By the way, it was purchased for you. It did cost a great price. But it was not purchased by you. It is a gift. Notice he says, not of works, lest any man should boast. We say, but Brother Greg, how do I get saved then? Well, first of all, you've got to understand, we're all sinners. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us. You say, well, I've tried to live a good life. You ever told a lie? Then we're under the curse of the law. Because we're under the curse of the law, every single one of us, Whether we want to be or not, whether we feel like we have chosen this or not, we are headed to hell. That's our destination. I'm not trying to be incendiary. I'm trying to tell you this because I care about this. I would hate for men to be headed toward hell and not know it. I would want them to know. If I went down I-55 and they were working on the bridge and they had it all tore up and didn't put any signs up, and I'm running down the highway at 70 miles an hour... And some cars behind me honking his horn, flashing his lights, trying to warn me that the bridge is out. I'd be thankful to him for that. I wouldn't be offended. I would be going towards some place of destruction that I didn't even know about until somebody showed me. And that's where we all are. Until the Bible shows us. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. Because of that, we're all under the curse of the law. In Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. That's where it tells us. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of the fact Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is only one way to get to heaven. And that is by putting our faith in what He did for us on Calvary. He came and He bore our sins on the cross, the penalty, the curse of it. He became a curse for us that we might be made righteous. And He died on that cross. They put Him in a tomb and He was in there for three days and three nights. And after three days, He arose from the dead. He's the only one who ever has risen from the dead in victory over sin, having lived a perfect life and having purchased redemption for mankind, the only one. The Bible says He only had to die once for all in the book of Hebrews. And that by that one man's death, He can save many. And the Bible says that He'll save them to the uttermost. Now, how do we how do we apply this salvation? How do we get it? Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 8 says, For by grace are you saved, and here's the key, through, For by grace are you saved through faith. I've got to trust God at what He says. <clears throat> I... Uh, I hate to use illustrations to help us understand this, but sometimes that's the only way our minds can grasp it. Because the truth is, even in these illustrations, I'm going to give you one or two here, they're not perfect illustrations because even that doesn't express the fullness of faith in Christ. But it helps us to understand a little bit of what faith is. When I was a younger parent, my had my youngest son, who was about three or four years old, three years old, I guess, at the time, and my uh, middle daughter, who was probably five or six, and she was trying to learn how to swim in Grandma's pool. And I got her down to the next to the last step, coming into the pool, and she's about right here. And I told her, I said, if you'll get on your tiptoes, you can touch bottom, and you'll probably be like right here. You can still breathe. And I was trying to coax her off that last step. Dad, I can't. You know, I'm nervous. My son's walking around on the, on the patio and uh, about three years old, maybe maybe four years old at the time. And I'm trying to work with her, and he's talking to me, and I said, Jonathan, wait a minute, I'll be right with you. And I'm trying to get Reagan to come off that last step. And as I'm talking to her, I said, Ray, I promise you, I'm right here. If anything happens, I'll catch you. And she's, she's trying to get off that step. And Jonathan heard me. Dad said, if anything happens, I'll catch you. And the next thing I hear is a splash behind me. And I turn around, and Jonathan's at the bottom of the pool with his eyes about this big. And I turn around, and I reach back there, and I grab him and picked him up. And when I did, she had just stepped off the step and came for me. And now she goes underwater. And now I'm holding up Jonathan with one hand, swimming back to her to hold her up with the other hand. Both of them got to a place where when Dad said, I'll catch you, they just didn't know any better than to say, I trust you, Dad. And they took that step and said, I'm not going to rest on this step anymore for my security. I'm not going to rest on the sidewalk up above the pool for my security. Dad said, I'm going to catch you. Not a perfect illustration because I didn't catch him. The one thing about God is every single time we put our faith in him, he is faithful to do what he said. And I say all that to say it this way, and I'm going to give one other illustration here in just a moment. That when it comes to putting our faith in God, you say, how do I do? How do I give my faith to God? Stop trusting anything that you can do to get to heaven. And trust only what Christ has done for you. So much so, and I was raised in a pastor's home, and for 13 years, I had prayed a prayer one time. I came to an altar and prayed a prayer. Um, thought I was making a decision for the Lord. I didn't know really what I was doing uh, other than I thought I had to pray a prayer to get saved. And I got baptized. And for a number of years thought I was saved. And I was 13 years old when, or 12 years old, when the Lord began to really burden my heart that there's something just missing. I'm not, all these things the Bible says I should enjoy and, and be a part of me as a Christian, I don't have those things. I don't see these things. I don't have the hunger and thirst for the things of the Lord. I I don't see things in Scripture that I need to be able to see as a Christian. And there were just so many things that just didn't line up. And I thought, and, and there was no peace there. I would I would have nightmares uh, of of being left behind. The rapture coming, and my parents and my sister going, and and I was left behind. And and just and it came to a point where I knew I, I knew I had never done really anything as far as my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to get saved. And I remember the day that I got, I got that settled and I came to a realization. And it was such a, a wonderful thing because I, I finally got to a place where I said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I don't care who my mom and dad are. They were the pastor and pastor's wife of our church. And for months I thought, what are people going to say if I come up and say I'm not saved and I'm 13 years old now at this point? And I finally got to the place where I said, Lord, I don't care. I can't, I can't do this. I don't care who my mom and dad are. I don't care what church my dad pastors. I don't care what I've done in the past that that I've held to thinking I'm saved. For the first time, I'm going to trust you and you alone. And if you don't do what you've told me you would do in Scripture, and if you're not who you say you are, then I guess I'll have to die and go to hell because you're all that I'm trusting. Folks, that is the moment of faith to say it cannot be anything I do, but only what He has done for me. And I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to take Him at His word. And I'm thankful that the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11 that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I'm thankful that we have things in Scripture that give us evidence of the fact that Christ is God and that He is Uh, 100% able to keep His Word and faithful. He's the only one who's powerful enough to do what He says He would do and to save a man's soul. I uh, have given the illustration so many times, and I don't have a chair up here, but you guys are sitting in some wonderful chairs. These are well-made chairs. A number of years ago, I was at a a barbecue with a friend of mine uh, here in town, and uh, we went outside, and they had some of these plastic lawn chairs. I'm, I'm a pretty big fella; I weigh 300 and pounds. And you, uh, I sat down, and we were fellowshipping there for a little bit. And uh, a few minutes into, into our conversation, I heard a loud crack. And the next thing I know, I'm laying on the ground, and the chair had broken. I blame the chair. It was probably really my weight more than anything. And so I, I was embarrassed, you know, and you know how you are. You get muddy on the ground. They go, Oh, are you okay? You're okay? And you're embarrassed about it. and I, I, it, it caused me to be a little self-conscious. I'll tell you this, so much so that I'm careful where I sit now. Uh, I went to a restaurant here a few months ago with my son, and they wanted us to sit out on the porch. It was a nice day, and I said, oh, that'll be fine. We went out on the porch, and they had those plastic chairs there. And I said, I need you to bring me a chair from inside. You know why? Because I don't trust that chair. So they brought me another chair, and I looked at it. It looked well enough. You guys came in here today. I did not see anybody come in today and take the chair and take it loose and turn it upside down and check the welds and make sure that the seat was set the way it should and make sure all the screws were there. I didn't, I didn't even see anybody really kind of take it and kind of wobble it to make sure it was sturdy. You know what I saw? I saw a lot of people walk in here and really distracted with talking with other folks, they just came and they just plopped in the chair and didn't even give it any thought. You know why? Because they had faith that it would hold them. And when there's faith in something, you don't sit and worry and fret over it. You just trust it. And so we all have a moment of faith every time we sit in a chair. In mine, it's probably a little different than yours. My center of gravity is a little bit different. But if I had a chair up here to illustrate to you, I would, I would come over here and I'd probably look at this chair make sure it wasn't plastic. And I'd say, boy, that's a well-built chair. And I could stand here and I could say, you know, I see those welds and that's heavy steel. I could, boy, the weight of this thing, it's solid. It's not moving. I could learn a lot about the chair. And I could believe with all of my mind that chair is able to support me. A lot of people do that with God, don't they? Boy, I see God in Scripture. I see what He's done for me on Calvary, and I believe He is able to save me. But I have not yet put my faith in that chair, have I? Until I get to a place where I walk over in front of it, and I start to sit down. And even as I start to go down, i, I still in a place where if I had to, I could stand back up. I haven't quite. And so maybe I'm going to get really close to this chair. I might even put my hand on the it a minute before I go down just to kind of see that it's there. A lot of people come, try to go to church, try to get baptized, try to do things to just kind of test it out a little bit. But they really haven't put their faith in that chair yet in the Lord Jesus Christ yet. There comes a point when I start to sit down where I rock back on my heels and I lose the balance. And at the moment that I lose the balance, one of two things is going to happen. The chair is either going to catch me and hold me. Or it's going to fail me and I'm going to the floor. And those are the only two options that will happen. Because at that moment, I have now put my faith in that chair. And by the way, You didn't think that whole process through today. But when you came in here, you did an act of faith when you sat down. Not the faith that will save you. It may have saved you from the floor. But it won't save your soul. And folks, even with an illustration like that, it's an imperfect illustration. Because we've got to get to a place, no matter how much we know that God can do it. No matter how much we come around people and the environment of it until we get to a place where we say, Lord, if I'm going to get to heaven, it's going to have to be because of what you have done for me. And I'm just going to trust that. I'm going to put every ounce of my faith and all of my hope of heaven into what you've done for me on Calvary. The fact that you died for me, you were buried, you rose again on the third day victorious over sin. And you paid my sin debt for me. And you've told me that if I would put my faith in you, that you would save me. That's what I'm doing. I'm trusting you and you alone. That's it. Folks, if you've never done that, you're not saved. You may be religious. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm trying to say it out of a heart of compassion because I do not want to see anybody come to this church and hear the preaching of this book and leave here not knowing how to be saved. It'd be a travesty to come, would it not, and hear the preaching of the Word of God and die one day and then God to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you'd say, but Lord, I went to Keith Heights Baptist Church. I might have even prayed a prayer. I might have even come to an altar and had somebody deal with me. But has there been a moment in your heart of hearts where you said, Lord, it doesn't matter what Brother Greg says for me. It doesn't matter what the church says for me. What matters is what You said in Your Word. That if I would put my faith in what You have done for me on Calvary, that You will save me from my sin and give me eternity in heaven. And that, my friend, is the only way to be saved. The only way to be saved. You say, well, what about a good life? God will take care of that after you're saved. It's not required for salvation. He'll clean you up. What about baptism? We can deal with that after salvation. That's something we do to follow and to give a testimony of the fact we've been saved. That doesn't make you saved. What about church membership? God will deal with all that. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior today? And if not, would you do so today? You You don't have to come to an altar. A lot of people do. It's a place they can look back to and say, that was the time, the place, where I prayed and told the Lord, I'm putting my faith in You, my trust in You. And notice, it's not even the prayer that saves you. The prayer is just an outward expression of what your, your heart has done. It's not the prayer. A lot of people pray and say, Lord, I, I've trusted You as my Savior. I'm taking You at Your Word. This is my moment of salvation. But it is the act of faith that saves you, not the prayer. If you've not made that decision, I would urge you to do it today. You can do it at an altar. You can do it in your seat. You can do it later when you get home. But I will say this, and I'm not trying to scare you. And if I could scare you, I would. But I'm not trying to. We don't have a guarantee of another breath. We don't. And once we're dead, it's too late. We don't have the chance at that point. The Bible is very clear about that. with The story of the rich man and Lazarus. The man who did not trust Christ as his Savior before he died, and the Bible says in hell, he lifted up his eyes in torments, and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus, and asked for Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool his tongue. It was too late for him. He couldn't change it. I would urge you, if you've not been saved, there's nobody in this room that you need to feel embarrassed about. There's folks here that would rejoice so much that you would get saved. More importantly, the Lord Himself would be rejoicing in heaven. It's not something to be nervous about or to be fearful about. Something you ought to be fearful and nervous about not trusting Christ as our Savior. I would urge you, I would urge you today, before you leave this place, to make that decision. You can do it between you and the Lord. You can do it here at the altar. You can do it in your seat. Wherever it is that you make that choice and that decision, you need to do it and you need to do it today. I would encourage you and I would ask you one thing, and you don't have to. But if you make a decision like that today, I'd love to know about it. You don't have to. I'm not saying you have to. But it should be wonderful if you'd say, Pastor, I trusted Christ as my Savior today. I'd love to know that. Uh, folks, it, it is an important enough issue that we cannot, we must not delay And I've been burdened. We we went through Sunday school and some things just really hit me about some stuff about even in our own church. I've had a number of people over the years that sat week after week, week after week in churches. And have heard me teach these types of of lessons and, and preach these types of messages that still would come and say, Pastor, how do I know that I can be saved? There's only one way. You've got to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him to save you, not yourself. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. It's not been a well-developed or designed message. I didn't even have notes today, and I apologize for that, and maybe the scatteredness of the thoughts. But folks, the truth of this is so so vital.